show number 74 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. It's show 74. I'm so amazed that you remembered that because... I don't, I don't even know. My brain is so full that things have started falling out, and I'm only holding on to the really trivial information <laughs> Like what point. show number this Like is. what show number it is. It feels like a thousand years since we've done a show. It does. Because so much so has much happened. happened in between. We're so far behind. Um, and first of all, I want to apologize to everybody. Um, I had, like, some real serious system problems that we won't get into here. But, so I have not been responding to email. Um... Responding to comments on the blog, which I do occasionally, mm-hmm. responding to things sent to Gmail, but we're going to cover a lot of it in the show. Yes. But we thank you for your patience and your continued patronage. Oh, we love it. And thank you, everybody, for the comments that we've been getting on the blog because they're wonderful and we're going to talk about some of them and we're so yeah. happy. So, should we start? Oh, let's start. Do you want to start with the books? And yes. Um, okay, in the last show, mm-hmm. we talked about um, the, the Star Trek book Enterprise, the first adventure, and it's by Vonda M. N. McIntyre. One of the originals. One of the originals. And as I said, this is one that I actually do like. And I just was talking about one of the things I like about it. It has always stayed with me. And I was surprised how accurately I remembered it. Was um, the first impressions Kirk and Spock mm-hmm. had of each right. other. Right. And you had said in, in the last show that they were not favorable. Well, it's it's very interesting. So just to set this up, I just want to read this. It's a, just a few paragraphs. But this is um, taking place at uh, some sort of ceremony where... Pike turns the ship over to to Kirk. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we know Spock was uh, Pike's science officer. And at this point, that is all Jim knows about him, Mm -hmm. is that he's going to be his science officer. doesn't know he's going to be the first officer. So um, I just want to to read you this. Oh, please. A tall, aesthetically spare Vulcan stood at the main entrance hatch of the Enterprise. He wore a formal uniform in the blue of the science section. This must be Commander Spock, the science officer of the Enterprise. Jim knew his reputation, but almost nothing of the Vulcan himself. Jim had little use for science officers. They always wanted to impart far more unsolicited information than he needed at any given moment about any given problem. And every time he had made the mistake of actually asking a science officer a question, he had ended up feeling that he might as well be back in an academy lecture hall. Jim probably would not have much interaction with Commander Spock. With any luck, the Vulcan would be one of those withdrawn intellectual types who preferred to remain secluded with experiments somewhere in the depths of the ship's laboratories. Permission to come aboard, Commander Spock. Permission granted. The Vulcan spoke in a completely emotionless tone. He stepped aside for Commodore Pike. The ship, sir, is yours. Without responding, Pike boarded the Enterprise. As Jim passed Commander Spock, the Vulcan regarded him briefly, coolly, hardly appearing to notice him at all. Mr. Spock took James Kirk's measure as the young captain, fo- as the young captain followed Commodore Pike onto the Enterprise. The science officer had made it his business to learn about Captain Kirk. Starfleet was handing the ship over to a hero. Commander Spock had little use for heroes. (laughs) Whatever the self-sacrifice required for heroism, however commendable or admirable the actions might be, a person could only become a hero within an environment of chaos and destruction. In Commander Spock's view, foresight and rationality should prevent the evolution of any such environment. He wondered if James Kirk, facing a crisis, would choose rationality or succumb to the lure of heroism. (laughs) 
So I just uh, found that interesting. Yeah, that that's true. It's the thing about hero her, being a hero and heroism very interesting. Yes, and I also find the whole thing that science officers are annoying and give you too much information uh, very interesting. But also, it, it it plays into canon in you know mm-hmm. uh, where no man has gone before, where they aren't each other's BFFs, yes, you know, and yes. just sort of starting to uh, to to go down that road. So a little antagonistic, definitely. yeah. Who was the science officer on TNG? I don't know that they ever actually identified one. Okay. I'm thinking about it now. Huh. I don't think they ever said. Mm-mm. They got rid of them. They were too annoying. <laughs> they were in the bowels of the ship. They were locked up. <laughs> with their experiments. Yes, with their experiments. <laughs> don't come out till you make something good. <laughs> They didn't need a science officer. They had Jordy reversing the polarity that's of everything, true, and, that's, and that's all that was necessary. Very good. That was great. Well, thanks for sharing that. Okay. And and you you were nice enough to um, pull out the French version, Super Star Trek. Super Star Trek. Entreprise, la première mission. I like the cover illustration, though. Well, that's on here, too, but you have to flip oh, the page. Oh, I see. I didn't realize that was the same thing. Yes. yes. Got his hands on his hips. But I have to say, the hand placement um, for Kirk is not particularly masculine. No. Because he always had his fist, his hands in fists. Yes, on yes. His hips, yep. not with the hand wrist bent thing going mm-hmm. on right there. Interesting. Yep. <laughs> this is great. And, and yeah, it is about a third bigger than the English yep. version. Yep. With the same, and the print isn't that much bigger either. Mm-mm. No, it's very similar. Um, now, you wanted to talk about the cover of this book that we just found <laughs> while we were rifling through your paperback collection. I'm looking for other things. And this book has, I've had it for years. It's an Isaac Asimov book called The Robots of Dawn. Mm-hmm. paperback book. And on the cover, I swear to God, it's got a gay robot. It does have a gay robot. This robot is is posed in just such a... Come hither, sailor thing. It is. It is with the the hip sort of cocked and the knee bent and and the eyes raised yeah. and and you know just it, all all the placement of its metal parts to make it look buffed. Yeah, it's very sultry. Yeah, it's quite a, a sultry robot. And uh, I'll have to find. I will find that image and put it up so people can see it. Okay, and uh, I hope you can find this one faster than you could find <laughs> Spock about. <laughs> No, you uh, had quite an ordeal. Do you remember if the story has anything to do with this illustration, or is that just random? Well, no, I was reading the back of it, and I don't remember this at all. <laughs> well, when did I get this, or when is the the something on this? Copyright? Yeah, something. Where it is? Uh, 1983 is uh-huh. the copyright. And it's dedicated to Marvin Minsky. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I've read a number of Asimov books, but I have not read this one, so I can't Well, it's part of that, you know, robot. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, oh, oh. Here's why the robot looks so sexy. Oh, please tell me. But can anything prepare a simple Earthman for the psychological complexities of a world where a beautiful woman can easily have fallen in love with an all-too-human robot? Oh. Who turns out to be gay, too. <laughs> so she's, you know, um... A gay bot. <laughs> Well, she's his hag. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In fact, that would be a great series, Hag 2300. Oh, really? <laughs> and, you know, she's like Dorothy. She has a little basket, and she carries around an oil can in it. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oil can. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, 
okay, that's really that's good. That's really good. So let's let's hear from everybody on on gay robots. If there are books, serious books with gay robots, that's true. That that's would be true. very interesting. Um, moving right along, because uh, we're done with this now, right? I think gay we robots, are. I think we squeezed as much out of that as we possibly could. Um, I wanted to speaking of robots, I wanted to talk about Tom Cruise for a minute. <laughs> Okay, he's a gay robot. He is a gay robot. Well, um, you all have probably heard this by now. The um, crazy rumors and everything about the Star Trek movie continue. So just recently, um, there were news items all over the place that Tom Cruise was being considered or in talks or something for a cameo in the movie as Christopher Pike. So I'll read you a little bit. This is from uh, an article at IGN, which is usually a pretty good source for this. Okay. Let's see. Cruz's name first surfaced last fall as a possibility for a role in Trek, but Cruz spokesperson Arnold Robinson said that story is not true. There was still bad blood between Cruz and Trek Studio Paramount at that time, but in recent months, um, it softened, leaving the door open for reconciliation. A Cruz cameo in Trek, however, would be a favor to Abrams and not to Paramount. Again, we stress that Abrams is said to be only talking to Cruz at this point. That doesn't mean Cruz will actually agree to do it. And just so you know, Cruz's camp balked at our March scoop for the comedy men. Um, and if you think this Cruz stuff is crazy, then you don't even want to know which A-lister we were told Paramount is trying to play to land the villain. I don't know what that means. Hmm. Um, so that's it. And they've got some nice pictures to go here. So, uh... I think that'd be really bad casting. I think it would be really stupid casting. But I wanted to read um, this comment on a blog that I found. Okay. Um, it's called uh, profsblogs.com. Oh, no. Did I just close it? Oh, God. Now I have to open it back up again. I'm sorry. I just Do you want me to talk for a minute about the movie? Talk for a moment. Okay. I want to read you this. Okay. Um, it's the new casting sheet that was leaked oh, yes. onto the internet. Um, and this is um, how the... This informs the actors of what they need. And Spock is not included because that was already cast. Right. And uh, the checkoff is not included. And they're saying it probably because he only joined the series in second season. Yeah, because he was like 13 when this right. would have been happening. Okay, James Kirk, 23 to 29. Handsome, cocky, self-assured, and earnest. Great physical condition, six feet or less. Leonard Bones McCoy, 28 to 32. Medic on the Enterprise. Smart, clever, and a bit danger-loving. Dark hair, blue eyes. Has to have blue eyes. Uhura, 25-ish. Which would make her about the same age as Kirk. Which is wrong. Me. No. African American, brilliant, beautiful, heroic, and fun in capital letters. <laughs> Uhura is almost tomboyish, as if she grew up in a house full of brothers. Sulu, 25 to 32. Asian American male, preferably Japanese. Helmsman on the Enterprise. Extremely fit, capable, and dedicated. A bit of a wildcat. <laughs> Montgomery Scotty Scott. Scotchy? Scotchy. 28 to 32, a, a brilliant ship's engineer, must be able to do a flawless Scottish accent. Those ages are all wrong. I know. That's so wrong. Scotty should be considerably older than Kirk. And so should McCoy. Yeah. yeah. They're more like contemporaries, and then Uhura should be a lot younger. Yeah, Uhura so. should still be in the Academy, and, as should Sulu. And I don't get her. I mean, she's not fun. I mean, she is fun, but she's not fun! Yeah. Like, like that. That's, that's She's not... Hey, boys! Uhura's back in town! <laughs> Woohoo! Anyway. She's more fun, like, singing snarky songs to Spock while they're <laughs> hanging out in the rec room and teasing him. Yeah. Okay, so here, I found this thing again. Okay. So it's, it's Prof's blogs, and the comment is, 
Um, I think this is kind of a good idea, the idea of, of Cruz playing Pike. After all, Tom Cruise's acting range can easily encompass, well, not easily, actually, it can just barely encompass it, but still, blinking one light for yes and two for no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Yes. So, um, who do you think is, is the A-lister they want for the villain? I don't even know who the villain is supposed to it be. It doesn't matter. Does it matter to them? No. Uh, who's an A-lister these days? I don't know. I don't even know who's on the A-list. Like, I'm so far out of touch, I don't even know the names of these guys. Okay. Do you think it's a young or old A-lister? I know who they want. Who? It's who everybody wants and who always turns in the exact same performance. Jack Nicholson. Oh, okay. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, I have absolutely no idea who it could be. <gasps> I know who they should get. Who? Patrick Stewart. Sir Ian McKellen. Because <laughs> he's got a method. <laughs> we were just watching, I'll have to put this link up here, but um, Ian McKellen's performance on Extras, the HBO show Extras with Ricky Gervais, and in which he um, plays a parody of himself, as everyone does in that series, and confesses his secret to acting. How do I act so well? <laughs> It's very, very clever. It's very good. Well, it, I was thinking of Ian McKellen, actually, but he's already the villain in the X-Men movies, mm. so I don't think they're going to do that, because he's already quite villainous. Maybe Leonard's playing the villain. Oh, that would be awesome. I'd like that. It'd be very good. I mean... Bill they, could play the villain. Bill could play Bill the villain. Bill ne- never gets to play a villain anymore. That's true. I'd like to see him as a villain. Yeah. That'd be good. I don't know who they're talking about to, to be... I, I keep thinking, you know, like... Ewan McGregor, is he an A-lister? I don't even no. know. Uh, see, I... I'm well, and their idea of, you know, because because of who the audience of J.J. Abrams stuff is, oh. their idea of who's an A-lister and who should be a villain is probably going to be really different Okay, so from what we think. Yeah, so I, I just, I couldn't make a prediction. So we'd be very interested to know what you guys think about yeah. this. A villain, whatever kind of villain it happens to be. I hope it's not... A Malcolm McDowell type villain because well, they've done uh, no, but they've done that so many times mm-hmm. now with like the lone crazed scientist guy right, that's right. been just done to death. Think it'll be a Klingon? Could be. They've already had a lot of fairly well. Because then it doesn't person. matter who you get because you can't see him under all that makeup anyway. Well, it's not going to be a Romulan. That's for sure. Right, right. Could, could potentially be a Klingon, but different. But it would have to be a flathead Klingon because they didn't have the bumpy head Klingons. Well, anymore. I don't think they care that much. I think that they had bumpy head Klingons in Enterprise. Did they really? Yeah. See, I never watched it, so I watched enough of it to know it sucked. <laughs> so, as far as aliens go, there were basically the Klingons, and that was it. Well, there was Andorians. There's Andorians, and there were those little short guys. That's true. Tellerites. The Tellerites. Yeah. A lot of makeup, though. I don't know. I don't know. Probably just a Earth guy. <laughs> Earth guy. <laughs> Ooh, scary Earth guy. I don't know. You know. You know what they're doing? And if they did this, I'd be really angry. I know who they should get. Who? Gary Lockwood. Oh, that would be awesome. He'd be great. He could blow them out of space with his ego, and he doesn't give a shit. Who knows He it? does not give a shit. I was thinking of that TNG episode, that first season episode where... Um, Riker and Picard discover that all the, the higher-ups in Starfleet are all aliens. Not gay robots? Not gay robots, but they were they were they had been taken over by alien, the evil I've aliens. I've worked in places like that. Yeah, and, you know, that was like this really big thing. So I'm wondering if that's the kind of crap they're going to pull, if it's mm. really an Academy story that they're ferreting out corruption in the Academy or something. Well, if they want, you know, real corruption, they need to get Dick Cheney or Carl <laughs> Rove or somebody like that. <sighs> 
Okay. <laughs> it makes me tired thinking about this movie. It just really does. Okay, I want to say this before I forget it. Um, okay. Which is uh, that soon it's going to be time for Silicon. Yay! And I'm going to be at Silicon, and you might be there for I a little might. bit. I might. So Depends. it's it, um, in San Jose at the San Jose Doubletree Hotel, October 5th through the 7th, which is now a little more than a month away. And I'm supposed to be on a panel about podcasting, although I have no idea when it's going to be because there's no programming up yet. But and, of course, they haven't told you. They haven't told me anything. Uh, but the thing I just did find out is that uh, Barbara Hambly is one of the invited guests, which I'm very excited yes, about. Yes, that's so very cool. I hope to get to, to meet her. I'd love to get her to autograph my copy of Ishmael and maybe talk to her about it a little bit. And I just wanted to... Um, See if you can get all the inside story about, did they really yeah. not know that it was a Here Come the Brides I, fan I fic. really want to, to ask her about this, so uh, I wanted to just read what she's been doing. Oh, okay, Because I had no idea what she'd been doing. So, great. Um, she is the best-selling sci-fi fantasy author of both Star Wars and Star Trek novelizations, a series called The Windrose Chronicles and the Darwath Trilogy, just to name a few. She has been president of the Science Fiction Writers of America for two years, wow. which I didn't know. She's been a Locus Award winner and multiple Nebula Award win- Award nominee. Um, she has admitted to not being good with titles for books. <laughs> She enjoys many non-writing hobbies, including karate. She holds a black belt in karate. Whoa. Dancing, painting, historical and fantasy costuming, and tarot card reading. And she used to be involved in the SCA as well. So she sounds like a wonderful person, and I'm really looking forward to meeting her. That is so cool. Speaking about bad with titles. (laughs) Um, During this, what seemed like a long break and before everything started falling apart, I read a couple of really fun books. They're not great books, but they are fun. Mm-hmm. But this guy, the writer, whose name I've forgotten, is the worst title person ever. Oh, good. So, this is the title of the first of the two books. The Lies of Locke Lamora. <laughs> is that an awful title? That, I love that. And I almost did not get the book because the title <laughs> was like, oh my God, what is it? You know, a weird fantasy romance novel. It's really fun. It's it's about um, con artists in this oh, fantasy cool, world. Cool. And then the second one is called something like Red Sails Under a Red Sky. Or <laughs> not, not Red Sails in the Sunset. No. <laughs> but um, anyway, they're fun books, but they're bad titles. Really, really bad, 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 bad titles. So um, I like that. I titles. think Barbara Hambly has nothing to be ashamed <laughs> of. Oh, that's good. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the time. We've already been talking for a while. Let's take a break. Okay. We have a lot more news oh, and some other really stuff. funny stuff. So we're, we're going to come back and, and go through our um, our stockpile of effluvia that we have to, to get through effluvia. to tell you about. So we'll be right back. Gesundheit. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. We want to hear from you. Leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. Send email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com. This entire podcast recorded on an Apple PowerBook with GarageBand. This is TSFPN.com, the sci-fi podcast network. You've found the best podcasts in the universe. 
We are geeks. We are geeks. And we are geeks on uh, several levels. We are. Well, what we have in front of us is something um, we got from the web. It was kindly emailed to us, this link, by our good friend Greg in New Zealand. So now we know what he thinks of us. (laughs) (laughs) Right back at you, Greg. Yeah. Um, And it's called The Geek Hierarchy. It comes from a website called Brunching Shuttlecocks, which is a really funny name. Um, So what it is, is kind of a flowchart, right? Yes. And it's a a hierarchy where the people at the top um, consider themselves less geeky than the people below them. Right. So um, I guess you start at the top and you kind of read your way down to get the full effect. Why don't you read what's at the top and then I'll read what's at the bottom. Okay. So they can get an idea of the wealth of the... In between. So at the very, very top of this chart is published science fiction fantasy authors and artists who consider themselves less geeky than everyone else. In the geek hierarchy. In the geek hierarchy. Right underneath them are science fiction fans. And at the bottom, these are the people everybody thinks (laughs) is the most geeky, and there's no one more geeky. No one more. None. None more geeky. People who write erotic versions of Star Trek where all the characters are furries, like Kirk is an ocelot or something, and they put a furry version of themselves as the star of the story. Now, honestly, if you did not know the type of fan fiction I write just by the fact that my name is Jungle Kitty, uh, you'd think that's you would me. Think that, yeah. I'm not. I don't write about furries, but mm-hmm. I am in this hierarchy well in the, the, the middle and sometimes down towards the bottom. Definitely. So so the science fiction and fantasy fans consider themselves less geeky than everyone else. Yes. And everyone else includes people who majored in folklore and mythology, <laughs> comic book fans, that would be me, um, anime fans who insist on subtitles, or anime fans who don't care about subtitles, mm-hmm. and I'm definitely in the uh, former camp because I have to have subtitles. Okay. Um, video gamers. Heinlein fans. Not me. Uh, amateur science fiction fantasy writers. That oh. would be that would be you. Um, amateur science fiction fantasy artists. And I think those are lower than writers yeah. based on most of the fans <laughs> we've seen. And then at the uh, at the the far right is the science fiction television fans, and that would be both of us and right yes, here. Yes, yes. Now the thing is, we've identified a few that are missing. Uh huh. Now, first of all, I felt that the top one, published science fiction fantasy authors and artists, could be broken into the ones who have been published in actual print media right. consider themselves higher than web people. Absolutely. Um, what was the other one we thought of the other day? Well, I thought of one right now that isn't yeah. on here. Boy. People who do sci-fi podcasts. Uh, definitely. <laughs> way high. High. Very, very high. Very, very, very high. Very, 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 very high. And I would also say they have a, a whole thing. So um, amateur writers are less geeky than fanfic writers. And the two categories under that is erotic fanfic writers. <laughs> and then fanfic writers who put themselves in the story. And then erotic fanfic writers who put themselves in the story. But I And th- then we get down to furries. furries. And erotic furries. And then the very bottom. <laughs> but I think that there's another category. I think... Fanfic writers who have published in um, print zines are mm-hmm. above those who have only published on the web. Um, there's also, and this would be an endless loop, <laughs> because each of these groups considers themselves superior to the other. Slash fanfic writers yes. and non-slash fanfic writers. Agreed. Both Just think goes the around. other is lower. Well, they have several of them in they here. They do. They like do have those. the Ren Fair folk and the SCA folk <laughs> both consider themselves <laughs> superior to each other. Yes, and sort of those two uh, breakdowns of anime fans. Yes. I also like... Um, Comic book fans higher than comic book fans who read superhero comics, higher than comic book fans who only read superhero comics, who are above comic book fans who only read X-Men spin-offs, which I wholeheartedly agree with. 
This is this is uh, really wonderful. It's really. Oh, wonderful. that was the other one we came up with. Which? Which was um, basically for Lord of the Rings, but could apply to oh, a lot yes. of other uh, people who have read the books consider themselves less geeky than people who have only seen the movie. That's right. Yeah. And I, I and there's there's probably a number of endless loops in there. Mm-hmm. You know that would extend to people who have read the books, but who have also read, like, every other thing that Tolkien has ever written. Right. Including all those weird, um, you know, notes that he made where the characters had those fucked up names. <laughs> like, <was> bingo. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, uh, Trotter instead of Strider. And, uh, <laughs> and he has an, a, a sidekick with coconuts. A lovable sidekick. He's called Trotter because he has wooden shoes. <laughs> True. I thought it was because of something he ate. <laughs> yeah, bingo. And, and what the hell was Mary's name? Oh, my God. It, it was Marmaduke. That was it. <laughs> Cartoon dog. <laughs> so see how geeky I am. So that's me. That's me at the top of the Tolkien heap. I'm so geeky. I can't No, at the it. top of the Tolkien heap are the people who understand the rules to that Lord of the Rings trivial <laughs> pursuit. <laughs> And I will put the link up. It's very, very, very funny. I'll, I'll tell you right now, um, if you print it out on legal-sized paper, it's much easier to read. <laughs> oh, this is bigger than legal-sized paper. This is oh, tabloid. This, this is tabloid size. Okay, yeah, so if, print you, it if you zoom it up, then you can actually read the thing. You, I'm sure you cannot read it online at all. It's great. But I love the fact that Highline fans are superior to Piers Anthony fans, <laughs> <laughs> who are probably superior to uh, John Norman fans right <laughs> So that was great. So thank you, Greg. That was really funny. Yes. Completely enjoyable. Yes. Now, and come up with your own things that should be oh, absolutely. added added to that. Like um, people who people who do the podcast are higher than people who listen, listen to, the, to podcast, the podcast, and people who send comments to the podcast are higher than people who don't who listen passively, and people who do their homework. homework. Yes, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Speaking of homework, okay, we received unsolicited homework. Yay! Now, this is in regard to the Star Trek trivia game that we played on the show a couple weeks ago. <laughs> so, um, Jenny Chibi Floor sent in this email. She said, I found on the web the different things McCoy said and when. I doubt this is all of it, though. He said it so many times. So, these are lifted from various sources. So, we have... The first ones are books. So, the first ones is collection from Pocket Novels. The second are from the DC Comics. And then the third category is from the TV series. And he only did that few on the TV series? So, here's the TV series. And as she said at the beginning, there are probably some that are missing. So, um, a doctor, not a coal miner Mm -hmm. in the empath. Doctor, not a bricklayer. Of course, Devil in the Dark. Doctor, not an engineer in Mirror Mirror. Doctor, not a mechanic in Doomsday Machine. Doctor, not a psychiatrist. Are those things mutually exclusive? I don't know. Um, in Metamorphosis. And Doctor, not a magician in The Deadly Years. But Escalator's Escalator not on Escalator is not on there, no. But I was really interested to see the other ones that appeared in various books. So we have um, Dream Merchant. Okay, now do you know who wrote Killing Time? Uh, it's, uh, uh... Isn't it one of those Mark yeah, Jack and Culbra? It is, yeah. yeah. I have that book. Um, so we have Dream Merchant, Theoretical Scientist, Carrier Pigeon, Film Critic, Magician, Engineer, Star Happy Space Rat. I don't even know what that means. Cosmological Physicist. Same comment. Wait, now, is, is that a physicist who does cosmetic uh, surgery? <laughs> Uh, magician again, wizard, computer, soldier, spy, 
baker, candlestick maker. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, and secret agent. And then we have, let's see, in the comic books, we have computer programmer, prospector, prize fighter, prize fighter, <laughs> mind reader, mother hen, painter, country gentleman, and knight in shining armor. Aww. I think he's a knight in shining armor. I think so. I say that about well, him. We got killed by one. That's true. <laughs> so, uh, those are really good, but I, I agree with you. There are some that are missing from the TV yeah, series. Yeah, the escalator one is the missing. escalator for sure. So, um, thank you very much, Jen, for sending those in, because those are really good. Yeah, I'm glad to know that someone is keeping track of these. <laughs> Although he definitely didn't say whatever stupid fucking thing we said. Oh, yeah, there was some the real, yeah, where they were making shit up. That uh, was... uh, a butterfly collector, <laughs> or whatever it was, right? A lepidopterist? Uh, yes, exactly. That was the one that they said. All right. I think he might have actually said that. You think so? Well, no, I don't, because I don't think any of the writers knew that word. (laughs) Harlan probably knew that word. Yeah, well, Harlan. Okay, speaking of homework again, number two, also, also, as they would say in Python, Jen wrote us a story. Yay! Now, we told you guys about the Kirk versus Picard fan lib thing that they were having over there, and we had browsed through and seen some fairly bad um, examples, but she wrote us a story because she writes really good stories, so I'm going to read it right now. Okay. It's uh, it's good. It's called Kirk versus Picard, The Final Adventure. I just read the first sentence. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't drinking. Captain Kirk beamed down to the planet Paramount 12 <laughs> to negotiate a trade agreement. However, when he found himself on yet another replica of the Enterprise that was strangely quiet... What a be- when a beautiful woman danced in the corridor, it was like a rerun from hell. <laughs> then she spoke. Captain Kirk, welcome. We hope that these accommodations will be satisfactory. Now, I, there are great grammatical and, and punctuation errors in here, which I'm not going to be able to communicate right. properly, but I'll try. He had little patience for games. Where's my crew? He demanded. The woman blinked. Why, on your ship, of course. Haven't you figured this out? I mean, this ain't the first time this happened to you. <laughs> That's so Lena Lamont. <laughs> He asked, why am I here? The woman laughed. To fight, of course. Our board of directors has determined that the only way to revitalize a dying franchise is to have an epic but impossible fight between the two best captains of all times. I am the facilitator, O'Donna E. I will not fight for your amusement. But you already do. Besides, you have no choice. Either fight or we eliminate any trace of your crew. The doors whooshed open to reveal an older Wait, man. doors are capitalized like the same group. <laughs> Or it's German suddenly. Right. Uh, to reveal an older man in a red uniform. Ah, Captain, please come in. Jean-Luc Picard, may I present your opponent, Captain James T. Kirk. Picard treated him with disdain. You're Kirk? I expected someone, I don't know, taller, he said, in a terrible southern accent. <laughs> Kirk shook his head. Wait a minute, I thought you were British. French, actually. Can't you hear my accent? <laughs> Whoops, sorry, I scrolled too far there. Kirk was about to answer when Odana E. raised her hands. It is time. She said to no one in particular. The scene morphed as bells rang out, and for no apparent reason, they were now on Vulcan, surrounded by a wedding party. Oh, ne- no. Next to them stood some poor red shirt, whose entire purpose of being was to wear lame outfits and ring big gongs, <laughs> which he did exceedingly well, which left their ears ringing. This reminds me of the time I attended Ambassador Spock's wedding. What a shindig that was. <laughs> as he struck his leg and then licked his lips. <laughs> Just imagine Patrick Stewart doing that. Of course! Mm. Uh, shindig, huh? Kirk said almost to himself. He wondered how a man like him ended up as a television captain but figured there was little point in asking. <laughs> television captain! 
Odonna E. raised her hand, and then all the ringing and banging stopped. Krikika, she called out. <laughs> That's one of the commands I'm trying to teach my dog, is Krikika. <laughs> I love it. I spelled it. I should say Krikika? No, it, I think it's... Well, you read it. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. She said to the crowd, we are here today to celebrate the Star Trek franchise. Yay! And to choose the greatest captain of them all. They have been selected by our revered board of directors to compete in the final challenge. The others were too black or too female or too obscure to be considered. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> so now it is down to these two finalists. She waved her hands in the direction of Kirk and Picard. She brought her hands together, then opened them up. Two human females stepped out of the crowd. O'Donna E. explained, This is Lana Taylor in Jungle Kitty! Yay! They will be your judges! We're guest stars in this... They will be the judges. This whole thing is fixed. (laughs) Impress them, and you will be declared the greatest captain of all time. Fail and pay the ultimate price. O'Donna E. paused and then declared, First event, charm and hotness. For this event, please declare to the judges why you should be the declared winner. Kirk ripped his shirt and declared, it's better when you touch it. Oh. Meanwhile, Picard shifted Wait, his wait. Read that sentence again slowly. <laughs> Kirk ripped his shirt and declared, it's better when you touch it. Oh, man. He would say something like he that. He would. Meanwhile, Picard shifted uncomfortably. Gee, that sounds fun, but I look better with a shirt on. The judges chanted, Kirk, Kirk, Kirk. Kirk. Next event, holding one's own liquor. A table someone else's. A table and several bottles of different types of alcohol appeared. O'Donna E. explained, The rules are simple. You drink until one of you cannot stand or until a winner is declared. The pair went over to the table. Oh, yes, you must sing and dance at the same time. <laughs> O'Donna E. added gleefully. They started drinking. Kurtz, Kirk swallowed the ale in large gulps at a time, taking time to savor each shallow. <laughs> shallow. When, while Picard slurped down the concoction, he picked up then staggered back. He exclaimed, Whoa! Not synthahol. Then attempted a sad jig and tried to sing Clementine, but only succeeded to belt out, Oh, me, darling, Clem, Clem, before he passed out. Kirk, on the other hand, never tried to sing. Instead, he simply chose to savor his drink and leave the embarrassing stuff to Picard. Of course, he was declared the winner. Before the final event, Picard had to be revived just enough to get him standing. They didn't bother attempting to sober him up. It was more fun that way. <laughs> O'Donna E. declared, final event, ritual combat. She paused, then explained, as alpha males, you need to prove your worth to a prospective mate. So, we have set up a traditional califi. We go until one is unable to battle. And so it began. Two lerpas appeared next to each of the combatants. Bing! Bing! <laughs> Kirk noticed that the table and the associated materials had mysteriously disappeared while he was staring at Picard. He thought to himself, how did that happen? His thoughts were interrupted by a slash. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently Picard had taken the initiative and struck first. Kirk was barely able to get out of the way before it struck him. In one motion, Kirk rolled toward his attacker and grabbed his lerpa. Picard was forced off balance and nearly planted himself on the ground, but he recovered just in time. Kirk stood then stood, then went on the offensive. He slashed at Picard while Picard was still off balance, managing to clip his arm. Picard howled with pain and anger a second later. This is very exciting. It is! Picard turned to face Kirk, then charged. Kirk was not sure if it was because of all the alcohol or because of the lerpus poison, but Picard's charge seemed like it was in slow motion to Kirk. He easily parried the blow and managed to get in a blow of his own at the chest. He watched Picard slowly fall to his knees as he screamed yet again. Picard was helpless. 
There is no point in continuing the fight any more. Kirk would not be the one to deliver the final blow. There was no honor, no glory, no justice in doing that, so he dropped his lerpa. The judges declared, Winner! Winner! Before he knew it, the two lovely judges ran run over and held on to him. How nice. It's better when you touch it. O'Donnie proclaimed, Captain James T. Kirk is the greatest captain of all time. Yay! All the attendees clapped, except for the two lovely ladies. They were engaged with other matters. <gasps> O'Donnie smiled, then said to Kirk, As a reward for your greatness, these two lovely ladies will be at your service tonight. They purred, Anything you want, you'll get. Kirk looked down at his two very lovely ladies. Anything, he asked playfully. They smiled. Anything. Anything. <laughs> Yay! Yay! That was wonderful. That should have won. That should be the story that won. I can't see about it. How could it be better? Yeah. Kirk beats the crap out of Picard. <laughs> Rips his shirt. Rips his shirt. Spike. And we're swallows. He swallows, and we're in it. Yeah. What could be better than that? Thank you so much, Jen. That oh. was a wonderful, wonderful story. Oh, I love it. That warmed my heart. It really did. It's so exciting. Oh, oh. <laughs> I love it. I think I might need a cricky car. <laughs> it's got a cigarette. <laughs> Isn't that what cricky car is? Yeah. <laughs> That's Vulcan for a cigarette, yes. <laughs> so I just got this vision of them all standing around smoking. I imagine that Tapau has a long cigarette holder. Oh, absolutely. Like a really long, with a little, <laughs> a little stand kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know. And, and um, to Pring probably kind of leans against the wall. Yeah. You know, and has, has that real, like, sultry kind of snotty look on her face. Yeah, and, and um, can do that French inhale thing. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> the art of Vulcan Krikika. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was That was wonderful. Yay, I love it. I Yay. love it. You guys have to write more for us. You're all such talented writers. you got to write more of this mm-hmm. stuff. All right. Now, um, I wanted to read some of the blog comments. This is sort of the listener portion of the show now. Okay. Uh, so we got six comments on our last show, which is great. So I wanted to go through them. So first comment was from Itty, who said, um, Kitty, you know this is my favorite. I think she's referring to the picture. That picture, yes. In fact, it's the inspiration for a smutty story I'm writing now, <gasps> along with inspiration. So I think we'd like to see that story. I think we would like to. Yeah, so maybe we could even read parts of it on the show. That'd be great. Next comment was from Mark Stanley, who says, Listening to your Squire of Gothos segment right now, the clothing of the upper classes used to button in the back because the servants did the buttoning. See? That's wonderful. Thank you, Mark Stanley, for saying that, because you just cleared that whole thing up for yeah. me. Yeah. I had no idea. Huh. Fascinating. All right. Um, Itty comments again. Okay, I commented on the pic before I listened to the cast. Yes, Francine certainly summed up Bill's talent in front of the camera. <laughs> She's my hero for descriptive language. Good she show, but please never use my fic for Drek Trek. Laugh in private only. <laughs> <laughs> Drek Trek. Yes. Um, Girl 6, who has commented before, says, Thank you. I wet my pants on that one. I think she was referring to the Andrew Troy Keller story. (laughs) But then she mentioned something good, uh, strangely enough. Ishmael by Barbara Hambly is another good time travel novel. It is. It is a good time travel novel. It is a good time travel novel. So I think we'll put that on the list of of good ones. Yes. The small, the very short list of good ones. That one definitely (laughs) works. Okay. Now we have email from Julia, who has written to us many times before. She says, hi, I have a question about the Squire of Gothos segment. What do you mean by Spock wasn't too annoying? He could have easily been annoying. Do you usually find Spock annoying, maybe because of his boring techno babble? 
I just ask because I find this very unusual. Most people love Spock, and many of them find rather Kirk annoying. I would be very interested in that. Well, um, first of all, I want to um, reference uh, Vonda McIntyre again. <laughs> We're just going right along with Kirk, who finds science officers annoying. <laughs> But I think at the time, we were thinking about how in uh, first season, he has that really annoying shouting thing he does about beaming down, Captain! You know, and you just want to smack him. I I think I was thinking about that, and I was also thinking about um, how, yeah, it was first season, so he just tended to be more bitchy than anything else. Mm -hmm. Like, he he was sort of questioning Kirk's decision on a lot of these things in a in a very not in a respectful sort of are you sure you know what you're doing Jim way just in sort of a snippy way mm-hmm. and I always found that very annoying yeah and and I think the combination of, of Spock and um, Q uh, not Q see I'm thinking Trelane. of Trelane that would just not have been very good because in in TNG for example um, Q was always funniest when he was playing off of somebody like Picard mm-hmm. like Q and Data not so funny. It just right. didn't really work. I mean, Q's reactions to Data were sometimes good, but Data just as a character doesn't work off mm-hmm. of Q. And I think Spock is a character working off of Trelane, not so good. Much better well, than Kirk working off of Trelane. And part of it is Q and Trelane are both, or, or exhibit the characteristics of spoiled children. Yeah. And so they are funniest working against an authority figure. Right. And, and Spock just doesn't have that same authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's just more, like, kind of baffled. Yeah, I think. yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting what she said, though. Most people love Spock, and I wonder if that's true. You know, it's so strange, because we've had this discussion before, and it's been discussed online, certainly in the Slash world, which was where I first hung mm-hmm. out when I was getting online. Um, Spock is much more the focus of yeah. everything, to the point where that is really annoying, <laughs> the way he is idolized and idealized, unlike Kirk, who... He has no need to be idealized because he's ideal anyway. Um, but then when you get out of that world, and in fact, one, somebody had written to us, I don't know, months ago saying something like, I think you'd be hard-pressed to, to find somebody who prefers Spock to Kirk mm-hmm. or who doesn't yeah. like Kirk. And um, so I don't know. I, I guess it kind of depends on where your your particular bent is mm-hmm. or something because... Yeah, there are, are, are large groups where, where Spock is adored, and there are people who hate Kirk, and I can't understand how you can watch a show where you hate the lead. I don't think I could do that. Uh, yeah, Because the agree. lead's going to be in it a lot. Yeah. Um, I also think that there's a big difference between Kirk and Spock because um, people don't really have a feel for who Leonard Nimoy is. He was so submerged in that role, mm-hmm. and he never really did much after. I mean, of course, he did lots of things after it, but he never had a persona after that where he was Leonard Nimoy, like you'd see him and mm-hmm. you'd know what he was and he, he had his personality, whereas people have very strong feelings about Bill. Yes. That they either love him or hate him. So if you watch Star Trek and you like the character of Kirk, but you couldn't stand what Shatner did after that, I think that makes it very hard to like Kirk as a character because your feelings for the actor really color your feelings for the character. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would be very hard to separate your feelings for Shatner from, from Kirk because they're so close. And you know, I almost feel like the Kirk-Spock thing is a Rorschach test to a certain <laughs> extent because especially, you know, in the adult fan fiction thing, mm-hmm. you know, which one sets your little heart a thumping or whatever... 
in some ways is quite revealing, and certainly you can make some very faulty and stupid assumptions, and, and I would be happy to do so, except I look like a real fool on the mm-hmm. podcast, to say what I think mm-hmm. are the sexual <laughs> problems and deviations of people who don't get Kirk. But I think it kind of does reveal a little bit about you and maybe your fantasies, um, because it's the whole idea of, I'm the one woman who could. Yeah. And, you know, I know people have said, well, yeah, you know, because, of course, I'm, you know, if, if you're a person who loves Spock, then you're thinking, I'm the one woman who could break down that exterior mm-hmm. and free him from that. And then if you're loving Kirk, you're thinking, I'm the one woman who could keep him from banging everybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I, you could I could hold take, him. I could take him away from the internet. And I know some people, uh, women fans have said that, um, they found Kirk and his overt sexuality to be threatening. Mm-hmm. That they were un- made uncomfortable yeah, by it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can see and, that. And the whole idea of that, with Spock, I think you would have to be the seducer. Absolutely. You'd have to be the one to make the moves. Mm-hmm. Is is a very, you know, it's a different thing. So mm-hmm. I think it's it, it's very revealing. I think so, and, and I think for male fans, it, it's very different because... Of course, you know, because you don't want to fuck them. Well, some of them do. Some of them do. But some of them, I I think more of it is who do you want to be or who do you identify with? Who's more like you or who could you see yourself as? Yeah, either who's more like you or who is someone you would wish to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's a very, very different thing. Well, and somebody once said, and somebody pointed out to me that it could be quite similar to Kirk with James Bond, that, um... Women want to fuck him, and men want sure. to be him. Yeah, yeah, I think it's exactly the same. And you know, I think that's definitely a, um, a failing of Trek, for the most part, and for a lot of science fiction, is that there aren't that many women characters that you'd want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, who wants to be Janeway? Yeah, like, she's just personally, I wouldn't want to be Janeway because as a character, they didn't do anything with her that made you go like, "Oh my God, she's so cool, or she's so smart, or she's mm-hmm. so tough." That I'd want to actually be her character. Right. Like, I look at her, yeah, she's the captain and everything, but I, there's so much about her that's just too fucked up that I, right. I wouldn't want that. You know, and I wouldn't want to be Seven of Nine. I guess I'd want to be Aurora to a certain extent, but I'd want to be Helen Noel. <gasps> yeah, that would be great. But not just because she gets to sleep with Kirk, but she oh, seems... Oh, there's some other reason. <laughs> she seems, you know, like she's doing her own thing and she's smart. And right. those kinds of characters, you just don't see them that often. No, you don't. And, um... Getting back to the the books with the bad title, The Lies of Lachlamora, <laughs> after I'd read them, I went on Amazon to read the comments, and there were some very interesting comments about this one aspect of the books, which is, it is very refreshing to see um, that in the world that he has created and set these books in, that women are not subordinate. In fact, many of the security positions in the various mm-hmm. palaces, ships, whatever, are, are filled by women. But um, someone also points out, but then he goes so overboard in that there is a female character who is is really short and really small, and yet she's defeating single-handedly, you know, Mm eight-foot-tall giant guys who are going to beat her just on on weight alone. And I thought, yeah, and that's really tough because you want to break women out of that Mm -hmm. protect-me, protect-me mold, but it is so easy to go too far the other Mm -hmm. direction. Yeah, because... You have no models to to, mm-hmm. to to show you how it's done. Right, right. Whereas for men, there's, you know, thousands of years worth of models to show you mm-hmm. how it's done. But for women, there's, like, nothing. Yeah. It's very... 
very disappointing and very frustrating sometimes. This is a big thing in, you know, comic books all the time because women are portrayed so awfully. And, and it's, there's always this expectation that women can identify with male characters, you know, so that in some ways, if you're a woman, you see someone like Captain Kirk or Mr. Spock, and you can see something of yourself in there. But it's out of the question for a male mm-hmm. to see himself in a female character. It's like, ew! You right. know, so it can never be the case where there's a good, strong female character and men would go, oh, yeah, I could see myself being like that person. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> it should go both ways. It should. <sighs> well, anyway, that's a little soapbox right there. Well, and it was a good one. It, it was, was fun. So, Julia, thank you. I, I know Julia has set off some interesting discussions before. Definitely. So thank you very much. Now, um, let's do one more quick thing. Okay. Because I just need to mention this. Um Another email that we got from one of our listeners, Mr. Bruce Stewart, who says, My old laptop fried recently. I am still getting around to resubscribing to some outstanding podcasts. And he puts us in the category. So I searched iTunes for Look at His Butt. I don't see any reference to Alec Baldwin or Canteen Boy below, but look who shows up with you and Jungle Kitty in the podcast areas of iTunes in my Look at His Butt search results. I swear I did nothing special to trigger these search results. (laughs) Um, so Bruce, uh, kindly put these in here. And so when he searched on iTunes for the phrase, look at his butt, it turned up exactly two things. Our podcast. Yay. And the Melrose Scouting Productions podcast. (laughs) Scouting is in Boy Scouts. And here's what it says. Um... Melrose Scouting Productions podcast features scouting-related videos. These videos include films and videos produced by the Boy Scouts and leaders of the Boy Scout Troop 68 during the last 20 years. These include skits and songs and could be a great tool to teach your troop and pack members how to perform in front of the Cub Scout pack or at your Boy Scout campfire program. This is also the home of Buttons, the radical Boy Scout, (laughs) who shares his thoughts about the great adventure we call scouting. Look for us in the iTunes music store. Now, I am sorry. Buttons, the radical Boy Scout, has to be a character on Mad TV. (laughs) (laughs) So, what is so funny is, if you look down the list of podcasts that they have, and they've got a lot of podcasts here, these are the titles of the podcasts. Buttons interviews Imard, the assistant scoutmaster. Imard? Imard. E Y M A R D. The ice fishing skit. <laughs> <laughs> the furniture store skit. Many point scout camp rouser song. Buttons, the radical boy scout, in physically strong. <laughs> Buttons, the radical boy scout, and the scout motto. The 2006 Order of the Arrow Conclave. Buttons, the Radical Boy Scout in The Scout the Scout Oath, Almost. <laughs> At the end of this segment, you've got to play the Tom Lear Boy Scout song. <laughs> Be prepared. So there you go. Buttons, the Radical Boy Scout. Okay, so he's like um. He's a, a a member of the Enterprise Boy Scout troop. I think so. And didn't you say that Stevens was probably the scout leader in his off time? Yeah, he and I think he's accounting. probably kind of a, a an iffy scout leader. <laughs> <laughs> and is part of what has made Buttons so iffy. <laughs> so there you go. Friends. Or maybe Buttons is um, the the secret scout nickname of Wesley Crusher. Oh. <laughs> and it's that enterprise. Because they have families and all that crap, you it's know, true. daycare and 
Well, listen, you guys. I am way too scared to go listen to any of these podcasts. I'm you don't want to see the ice no, fish fishing no. skit. They're all really short. These are all like three or four minutes long. So I challenge you, um, listeners out there, to go listen to the ice fishing skit at the Melrose Scouting Productions podcast. If they're acting out Kirk and Spock go ice fishing, um, we're dead. That's, I'll, it's I'll, just, I'll, 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 um, I'll eat some loop fish. <laughs> let us know what that's about. Yeah. Thank you, Bruce. That was hilarious. Well, I think after that, we definitely need a cricket cup. We need it. We need a break, and we need some soda or something. Um, and yeah, let's go have a, a, a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Be prepared. You know, of all the songs I've ever sung, that is the one I've had the most requests not to. <laughs> I have time for one more here. This one is a little song dedicated to the Boy Scouts of America. <laughs> We seem to have a convention here tonight. <laughs> the Boy Scouts of America, those noble little bastions of democracy. <laughs> and the American Legion of Tomorrow. Their motto is I would like to state at this time that I am not now and have never been. <laughs> a member of the Boy Scouts of America. Their motto is, as you know, be prepared, and that is the name of the song. Be prepared. That's the Boy Scouts marching song. Be prepared. As through life you march along, be prepared to hold your liquor pretty well. Don't write naughty words on walls if you can't spell. Be prepared to hide that pack of cigarettes. Don't make book if you cannot cover bets. Keep those briefers hidden where you're sure that they will not be found. And be careful not to smoke them when the scoutmaster's around. For he only will insist that they be shared. Be prepared. Be prepared. That's the Boy Scout's solemn creed. Be prepared. And be clean in word and deed. Don't solicit for your sister. That's not nice. Unless you get a good percentage of her price. Be prepared. And be careful not to do your good deeds. When there's no one watching you If you're looking for adventure of a new and different kind And you come across a Girl Scout who is similarly inclined Don't be nervous, don't be flustered, don't be scared Be
before our last segment, we got to do a really good segment because um, the chairman of our board of directors is in the room. <laughs> our official podcasting mascot. Yeah. <laughs> and he's hitting me with the con. I know. He's being crazy. Okay. Um, so we wanted to talk about... <laughs> Dreams. Dreams, because you have had such a series of dreams. Well, I'm looking at the date on this email I sent you, which uh-huh. is July 25th. Okay. So that's what? Like, that's over a month ago. That's over a month ago. So in the past month, I've had at least five dreams about William Shatner. Uh, yeah. And the strange thing is, they all take place at his house. Yes. And it's, it's the house in my dream is, is very specific. It's the same house every time so i don't know what is with this but um i wrote down one and sent it to you but i i can't even remember some of the others so maybe it'll jog my memory okay talk about this one but i'm glad you told me write it down okay so that we can talk about it on the show good, okay good, Here, good. here's the dream i was at bill's house and it was huge <laughs> there were women everywhere um, what a surprise <laughs> the only youngish ones were his daughters all the rest were middle-aged I was staying there because I was appearing in a play nearby. Then I had to go to school. But when I went to get my car, there was something wrong with it, and Bill was fixing it. I decided I wasn't dressed right for school, so I went to my room to change. Then I didn't go to school. Later, Bill, a bunch of women, and I were seated around a big table with other women going in and out. And Bill said to me, why didn't you get the car fixed like I told you to? I was relieved because I thought he was going to ask me why I hadn't gone to school. <laughs> also excited to tell people I got scolded in that Captain Kirk way. I told him I didn't know I was supposed to do that. I don't remember if he bought that. <laughs> A plain-looking woman came in and was fawning on Bill. Then she left and he said, God, I hate her guts. <laughs> she was one of his ex-wives. Mm-hmm. She was a friend and begged him to marry her, so he did, but they agreed that he wasn't going to give her any money or anything, so she was always hanging on him. Then he and I went up to my room, and the alarm went off. Now, there was another one where he was hot for you. Do you remember? You you told me that I was wearing a really, really fabulous outfit, but you couldn't remember exactly what it looked like. It was blue and black. Yeah. It was like a royal blue top. Mm -hmm. Very form-fitting. Yeah. And he was very hot for you. Yeah, but nothing ever happened. Okay, then I had... Um, and it, it's so strange. It, 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 his daughters are in them a lot. Last night, just last night, I had another one where I dreamed he and I were getting married. Wow. It was our wedding day. And just after we got married, he went out and cheated on me. I mean, like, immediately <laughs> after the ceremony. But then it turned out he wasn't really cheating on me. It was... um. It was, you know, just something he did, like, to keep up his image with the press, and he didn't really do anything with her, and then we went off and fucked. And there was one where he and I were just fucking like, oh, and then the one I told you the other day that was filthy. Mm -hmm. This was very strange. I dreamed I was at his house, and he was telling me in vivid detail about this, making out with this girl he dated Mm -hmm. when he was a teenager. Yes, in high school. And as it is in dreams... You're not just hearing this, you're you're seeing it, mm-hmm. and, you know, you're right there and everything. And um, she was like this teenage, like, dom, you know, who was controlling the whole thing. <laughs> and so the, the, she would only let him dry hump her. Mm-hmm. And so he was doing that, and then he came in his pants. And as soon as he did that, she flipped him over, pulled his pants down, and spanked him. 
Did you look at his butt? <laughs> it was red. <laughs> what, 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 what? They were using the Hollywood meat slappers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's an amazing series of dreams. But I, I, I am just really astounded that I'm having the, first of all, these frequent dreams that are always taking place at his house. Mm-hmm. His daughters are almost always there. And the fact that it's happening in L.A., it's all, it's, it, it's like within the dream I'm aware of that. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm almost commenting on the situation mm-hmm. like, wow, this is so strange for me to be living in L.A. Mm-hmm. Or there was one where my husband and I had moved to L.A. for some reason. It's been your bill, obviously. Yeah, well, yeah that was my husband's reason. <laughs> I said, yeah, fine, honey. (laughs) Live near Bill Shatner. Okay. Just very strange. Oh, that's great. Well, I haven't had any Shatner dreams. Um, I had a dream last night that I met Neil Finn from Crowded House. Okay. Because I just saw them last week. Did you spank him? Did you dry hump him? No, no. We were just chatting. He was very nice. Um, But I I would be interested to see if other people have had Shatner dreams as well. Yes. That could be a book. The book of Shatner dreams. The Shatner Sutra? Yeah. Or the book... What is the Book of Dreams actually called? There's a Book of Dreams. Oh, well, I don't know. Something. It probably is, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. Wow. Well, that, that's great. Well, I hope you have more. You should definitely keep writing them down. And right. We'll just... And, and I want to hear other people's Shatner dreams. Filthy and non. Yeah. I'm interested in the role he plays in your, your subconscious mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And what, what do you think it means? What do yeah. you think he represents? Charm and hotness, of course. But. <laughs> and sex on a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. I wonder what Bill dreams about. That's a great question. You should ask that on the Shatner thing, you know. Yeah. WilliamShatner.com. Because we're doing that, right? You get questions and ask That is very interesting. And, you know, for some reason it made me think that years and years ago I read a biography of Tallulah Bankhead. Mm -hmm. And at one point someone, perhaps a psychiatrist or something, had said that she frequently appeared in the dreams of gay men. And she was like the the representative of of, of of just being free and being whoever you are and, and out there and the whole thing. And it would be interesting, first of all, because I'm sure Bill appears in many dreams. Oh, yes. To know what the meaning of that is for individuals. But also, yeah, to know, okay, what, what, what are the recurring themes in his dreams? Yeah. I would imagine he probably dreams a lot about doing things. Uh-huh. Like, uh, somehow I imagine he has action-oriented dreams. Yes. He's doing things that, he's reliving things that he's already done or done things that he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Like going parasailing or, you know, jumping motorcycles off of cliffs and things like that. Maybe not, though. I mean, maybe his dreams are totally different. That's just sort yeah. of what I, I'm imagining for him. And, well, you know, some people have sort of linear dreams that sort of have a plot, and some have just these bam, bam, all over the place mm-hmm. dreams, and I would be interested to know that, too. I would love to know what Bill dreams about. Wouldn't you love, Ooh. I was going to say, to get him on the couch. Yes. Of course, the answer is yes. But you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Maybe his autobiography will have the answers to some of these questions. Oh, I would just love if that was a true tell-all confession. <sighs> Spill his guts. And that. he doesn't give a shit who knows it. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. 
Yeah, what do you what do you think Bill dreams about? Hmm. He probably dreams about being Captain Kirk sometimes. <laughs> I bet he does. I bet he does. I bet he does. Like for real Captain Kirk. Like not that he's in a TV show, that he is Captain Kirk. So he kind of dreams Galaxy Quest. Yes! <laughs> he's on a ship, he's in charge, he's having the adventure, and everybody looks up to him because he's the goddamn captain. Captain, that's right. Yeah. Can you imagine? That would be so cool. That's like a, you know, being William Shatner and having the dream that you are, in fact, Captain Kirk, the guy mm-hmm. that you played on TV. That would be a cool dream. Yeah. And that you're, you know, whatever, 30 and young. Remember the movie Being John Malkovich? Uh-huh. Can you imagine something like that being like that? <laughs> where you could just be him for a while? But not in the way the Being John Malkovich thing was, where you could take control. Mm-hmm. But where you were just sort of along for the ride in <sighs> Bill's life. That'd be fun. You know, I think that's kind of what they're trying to do with Shatner Vision, actually. Yeah. You know, in a, in a weird way. It's just to say, I don't know, the more I see about Bill's life and the way he is in his everyday life, the more convinced I am that he's nuts. Oh, yeah. Like, really nuts. As he gets older, really, really crazy. Just, we'll do anything, we'll mm-hmm. say anything. Yep. Hi. <laughs> the podcasting dog is looking at me expectantly. Yeah, well, he wants you to play with him. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> sitting on the little couch here in the podcasting studio, um, and and Jack, the podcasting dog, jumped up in this very, very narrow space between us and landed on the geek hierarchy printout <laughs> that we had here. So he is above all the geeks. He is. He really is. That was very funny. <laughs> and he gave Lena a big wet kiss. Yeah. Which was You're just what she good needed. Puppy. Okay. <laughs> Last item on the menu for today, because this was just so good, and and this raced around the Trek blogosphere so quickly. Oh, yeah, well, we had a couple people tell us about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, so um, this was posted on a blog um, for an artist named Shannon Garrity, who I've actually met, she's very nice, and she draws a web comic called Smithson, um, but she also has a great blog, she writes about many things, and, and she does lots of other stuff, so um, she posted this just the other day, and she says... Uh, I've been enjoying the newest show at the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco, which is called Edward Gorey's Dracula, featuring art and memorabilia from the Gorey Design 1970s stage production of Dracula. Among the news clippings sent over by the Edward Gorey House and Charitable Trust, I was drawn to this actual article from the Boston Globe. And it's a picture of Gorey, who looks kind of like Alan Moore. And it's dated 1977 or 8 from the Boston Globe. And here's how it starts. Edward Gorey watched television for the first time this summer, or so he claims, and in the process, the 52-year-old artist became a Star Trek fan. He watched the science fiction program reruns twice a day, five days a week, and once on the sixth day, and despite this faithful viewing, he has yet to see the TV show's most famous episode, The Trouble with Tribbles, which is about these furry little creatures in outer space, or so he says. He became so involved with the characters that he ventured from Brewster to Falmouth to see Star Trek hero William Shatner co-star with Yvette Mimo in what he described as a ghastly little comedy called (laughs) Tricks of the Trade. 
Quote, I guess I'm a fan. Can you imagine wanting to see William Shatner in person? <laughs> no. He explained last week from the depths of a rather prosaic-looking wing chair in the spare New England living room of the summer house he shares with assorted aunts and cousins who call him Ted. Gory, whose work can be as bizarre as the most avant-garde science fiction, brought up Star Trek as a roundabout answer to the question about his own fans, their nature, and number. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> You know, I read something recently, I think it was in an obituary of someone who's like this famous smart person, mm-hmm. and one of the things it revealed was that they had a huge database of Star Trek information, and I can't remember who it was. That's so funny. Well, that was interesting enough, but the but. part of this, <laughs> so Shannon, who's a very talented artist, drew, she says, um, what was her comment? Alas, for what might have been. And she went ahead and drew The Trouble with Tribbles, and t- a television adaptation by Edward Gorey in his style. And she did a really good job. Oh, she, she really nailed it. It's black and white. It's got all of that wonderful cross-hatching that he does. And the sort of very dreary-looking backgrounds and everything with, like, you know, these heavy curtains sort of hanging down on the mm-hmm. side. And everyone looking a little bit scared. Yes. <laughs> so, the first panel here is Spock and Kirk and Uhura. Second panel. On Thursday, Lieutenant Uhura brought the first one on board. And there she is, holding a little tribble, and we see someone walking off. Presumably, Presumably. But that's great. That's such a gory touch. It is. Second panel. That evening, it began to reproduce asexually. Its offspring made small, mewling sounds. And there's a crewman looking at them all, starting to multiply on the ship. But also, out the window. (laughs) There's a moon. You can see the moon. Third panel. By Friday afternoon, the population had risen to a somewhat alarming number. So there's Kirk and McCoy and Spock looking through a porthole, apparently. <laughs> and a bunch of dribbles. Next panel. The captain called a meeting. Lieutenant Uhura was in disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> they all look like they're gossiping they about do, her. And she's standing out in the hall looking a little bit uh, forlorn there. Mm-hmm. Next panel. Dr. McCoy commented that he was a doctor and not of some other profession unrelated to medicine. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Spock failed to grasp the logic of the situation. Look at Mr. Spock's hand. I know. (laughs) This is the best. (laughs) On Saturday, there was an altercation with some Klingons. (laughs) This is so gory. I just love it. So all you see in this panel is a wall, a floor... A pair of legs kind of halfway out of shot, someone laying on the ground, um, broken glass and a bottle that's tipped over with some liquid spilling out. I would love to see just that panel with the the caption blown up to poster size. That would be so good. And like with most gory things, you can't really tell what's going on. It could be horrible, but you're not really sure. (laughs) Yes. You know, this this could be all there is of this guy. Yep. Just his legs. (laughs) His feet. Yep. (laughs) And then the next panel... By morning, the mass of mewling fluff had become quite suffocating. So there's a giant pile of tribbles with a hand sticking out. (laughs) And then, finally, again, so gory, the Enterprise flew off into the depths of space and was never seen again. (laughs) And it's flying off into this very surrealistic white and black sort of like white sky and black clouds. Yeah. All by it's little. It's very little. <laughs> oh my god, it's so funny. Oh, oh that that is so wonderful. But at Saturday there was an altercation with some Klingons. I, I think is, 
I would like to, you know, what, I might actually write to her and ask her if she could do that because I'm sure lots of people would like to have that. Oh blown yes, up. yeah, that's brilliant. And, and you know the the font she used and everything too oh, for the the captions. Definitely, it, it it all just screams gory. It's great. It's wonderful. Wonderful. So, Wonderful attention to detail. So I will put the link in. You guys can all see that. But maybe I'll, I'll put this one panel so people can see what it looked like. Yeah. It's so funny. Oh, it's oh she's such a talented artist. I love when people do stuff like that. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, I think that's it for this here show. I think so. Oh, that was really fun. Um, so uh, thank you all again for all the email and everything else that you've sent us. We just love getting that kind of stuff. So send more. And uh, we'll be back next week with another show that's going to have a whole bunch more crap in it. I don't even know. <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff we need to talk about. Well, the podcasting dog is now willing to contribute. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll have to see. Jack, do you have something for the next show? Can you write it down so that we can have it next time? Okay. Maybe later. Okay. <laughs>